take your Bibles. I've been, I've been waiting a while to say this, turn to the book of Romans, and you might as well put something permanent in the book of Romans because we're going to be all old by the time we get out of this book. And, uh, but I'm excited about it. Uh, I have to admit, as we were singing that last song, Many years ago, uh, a young boy from West Gastonia uh, wandered in to a church named Parkwood, and uh, he had heard that this uh, pretty girl from New Jersey was singing. And so that's, in, in, in all honesty, that's the reason he went to that church that morning. And uh, I married that girl 29 years ago today and I know what you're thinking my goodness look how young they both are at least her you know but that it has been my privilege to be married to such a woman so let's look at Romans now what we're going to do today if you don't have your notes you need them and they're over there on that table so make sure you've got it because if not you're going to be completely lost so have your notes in front of you there are a couple of things I just want to show you, and I'll put them on the front table here, or the front chair. Um, there is, produced by Crossway, a Romans journaling Bible. It looks like this. You can order it off of Amazon. You can order it off directly from Crossway. Every, on, the, on the pages, it has a place to where not only has Scripture on one side, but it has a place where you write your notes on the other. These are like five, six bucks or something like this. And this is called Christ Center Exposition. So if you want to have one of the little commentaries that I usually glean from every week, this will help you study a little bit more in depth. And so I just wanted to make both of those available to you as we get started. So what today is, today, is imagine with me that we're going to climb a mountain such as Mount Everest. That's what's in front of us when we think about Romans, at least it is to the pastor. That's when I'm excited. At the same time, I'm going, oh, wow, that's a, that's a tall mountain. And so what we're trying to do is we just sort of climbed a smaller mountain from, you know, a good ways away so that we can just sort of take in about what we're about to try to climb. So that's what we're doing this morning, just sort of looking at the mountain that we call Romans and seeing how are we going to not only climb it, and making our plan to climb it, but also to ascend it, but also to descend it. The, the way we climb the mountain is not going to be the same trail we use when we go down the other side. And so I want to show you with your outline is that plan of how we're going to only climb this mountain called Romans, but how we're going to descend the other side of it. And, uh, and my prayer is that we will be more equipped and ready both to live for God's glory and his mission. That's really Paul's purpose. So Paul, I, the, the main idea, if you see that, is for, and this is for Romans, the man's unrighteousness is severe. God's power and righteousness has been displayed through the gospel, bringing his people all they need to walk in righteousness. And, uh, and, but Paul's deeper purpose and we're going to see this hopefully a couple times as we look at the as we look at the whole book today is he's got a purpose he's writing to to church that is in Rome 
And he's wanting to teach them, to equip them, to unite them, both for God's glory, but also for future mission. And so when we get to the end of this, I hope you see the funnel. I didn't make that picture up. It's, it's right here in the book of Romans when we, when we look at Paul. And so it would be wrong for me or for you to assume that since we're going to focus on righteousness a good bit in our, in our journey, that that's the only theme in the book of Romans. Romans is just chunked full of multiple themes that he wants to teach the church. And we are going to, God willing, look at all of them. We are not going to be in any hurry. If we need to stop hiking up the trail, that's what we're going to do. We're going to enjoy this season in Romans together. And, but let's understand a little bit about the context, at least as much as we can, uh, about the who, when, where, and why of Romans. Uh, most, we, we think that Paul wrote the book of Romans in around AD 57 at the end of his third missionary journey from Greece, probably Corinth. He, what he hoped to do, and we'll look at this again when we get, and you'll see it in, in the text, is what he hoped to do is that Rome, or the church in Rome rather, would be his base camp for future missions to Spain. We don't really know who established the church in Rome. We have no evidence, no evidence that Peter ever went to Rome prior to his martyrdom. And so how did this church begin? Um, some people say it began at Pentecost when all these people from all over the world gathered for Pentecost and God saved thousands and, and some stayed and then eventually persecution arose and people scattered everywhere, some of them back to their homes. And if, if that's the case, and we really don't know, this church could have been 20 to 25 years old by the time Paul wrote this letter. And so we're not, we're not sure about that, but we know the church was there. Paul, Paul's clear intentions in these first 17 verses of Rome is to make sure that we answer a core question, that they could answer this core issue in their life, in your life. How can a sinner that is so unrighteous, that is so depraved in sin, be made righteous before a holy God? He wants to make sure they know the answer to that. And so he, he goes into these, at the very beginning in this introduction to, to, to answer the question, what is the gospel? So that's where we will start. It's important to remember this is written to folks that were mainly Gentiles. And they were, there was a reason for that. He's dealing with three mindsets that exist within the church. And most of them exist in most churches today. And there are these extremes. The legalist. Legalism says, I am righteous or even more loved because of what I do. And every time I do something wrong, God is angry with me. He's disappointed in me. He's like a grumpy father. And Jesus comes in to sort of pacify this grumpy dad. Always mad, always angry. Nothing's ever good enough. And I'm always running on the treadmill. Legalism just robs us of our joy. There's, there's the other side, though. 
These are the liberty guys, the libertines. They're the ones that says, whoo-wee, saved by grace. I can just do whatever I want to do. Just enjoy it. Paul's going to deal with both. There was these weird other folks that, and it, it only grew later in, later in church history, called the spiritualists. Uh, we, would, we would later in history call them Gnostics. Um, they, they, would, they believed the body and the soul is separated and, and the soul is the Lord's and God's and it, 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 gets, it, is, it is where God dwells. But the body, who cares? It's, it's not worth anything anyway. And so you can just do whatever with your body. Uh, Paul's going to deal with all of that in Romans. So look with me now. Romans 1, 16 to 17. Just keep your seats this morning. I just want you to see this sort of is the summation of the introduction to, 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 Rome, to Romans. Paul says in Romans 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray together. So, Lord, as we embark on this journey, we ask for your help. We, this pastor doesn't even feel worthy to preach such a book. And so, Lord, will you be giving it to us for our joy, for our growth, because your glory and your mission is important. Our joy is important to you. And so increase our hope. Increase our joy, increase our anticipation, even as we talk about this today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Romans 1, 16 and 17 tells us that the gospel has been revealed in Christ and must be received by faith. It is received by faith and then it is to live and it is lived out by faith. In order to live it out by faith, you must first receive it by faith. You can't get that out of order. He says the power of God has been put on display. He's going to explain all of this to all people through two primary means. Creation and Jesus Christ. Through what we would call general revelation to all people. Through creation and even people's conscience to, to the Incarnation of Jesus Christ and the gospel itself. So this righteousness then as Christ himself has been put on display. Why I put this as one of the main themes we want to look at is this in the book of Rome, the letter to the Romans, 32 times. Holiness or righteousness is, the, is central to God. It is in everything that he does. It is in the core of his essence and and everything he does is holy you can just put that before everything you say about God so as we look at the mountain then we see there's three camps as we both ascend and descend down at the other side the first the first one is that righteousness has been revealed now just 
peruse with me through your Bible. We're going we're gonna to overview the whole thing. The unrighteousness of man then it starts at verses 18 and is going to go through chapter 3, verse 20. And what he's teaching us in that section is there are two types of lawbreakers. There is the outward lawbreaker and there is the inward lawbreaker. There is the outward lawbreaker that says, I don't care. And I am going to sin, and I'm going to sin in an unashamed way. Romans 1.18 then says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. They are truth-suppressing lawbreakers. They are, in verse 19, natural lawbreakers. They break the law within their own conscience, and they break the law that's revealed in creation. But look down at verse 29. They're also moral lawbreakers. It says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithful faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they knew God's righteousness decree and those who practice such things deserve to die. They don't only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. There is the outward lawbreaker, but then there is the inward lawbreaker, and that's chapters 2. We see in chapters 2 that we see this judgmentalism, the judgmental lawbreaker. He is, in verse 3, also an hypocritical lawbreaker. He is, in verse 8, a self-seeking lawbreaker. Look what it says. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now, the difference between this outward lawbreaker and this inward lawbreaker is the inward lawbreaker would, would look out at, at homosexuality or something, and they would rail against it. And when their wife goes to bed at night, they look at porn. The inward lawbreaker. The inward lawbreaker that would rail against people who would live together and not be married, but cheat in their, uh, in their businesses and think nobody knows it. What, what the Bible is saying and what Paul is saying is because of these things, the wrath of God has come. He's going to get us all. He's going to sweep us all up so that we understand our need. That's chapters 3. Chapter 3. Therefore, all are under sin and we are without excuse. Chapter 3, verse 1. The Jew first and then all of us. The, why is the Jew first? Because if you look at chap- chapter 3, verse 1, they were the first one that were given the law. Special revelation came to them. And then all of us. Look at, look at verse 9 in chapter 3. It says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And so we praise God for the end of chapter 3 and verse 21 because it is there that hope dawns in the midst of this net that has, that has captured us all. And we see 
these wonderful two words, but now, but now, but now the righteousness of God has come. That's our hope. That's the Romans, but God. Ephesians 2 says, but God. This is but now. Look at verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Righteousness then comes only through faith alone. Remember, we studied this when we looked at our foundations. We didn't invent the foundations of our doctrine. We get them from Scripture. Verse 24 says that we are justified by His grace as a gift through redemption. So where we get to talk about the word ransom that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a wrath-removing substitute, propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Chapter 5 then says not only are we going to be declared righteous in chapter 3, but in chapter 5, verse 1, now we have peace with God. We don't have to wonder, see? That's why the legalism doesn't make sense. Because Christ has died and we have entered into relationship with Him. We have peace. Peace with God. Peace comes. Listen to what it says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so after we have ascended God's holiness... After we have looked at our human depravity, and after we have understood that salvation then is through faith in Christ alone, we arrive at the second base camp, righteousness embraced. Righteousness embraced. And what we're going to see there is that, is that this salvation, that we, this righteousness that we embrace is not merely some kind of cerebral knowledge be able to answer questions correctly. It is not, on the other end, just some kind of emotional response either. It is, it is first a growing righteousness. That's from chapter 8, chapter 6 to chapter 8. So look with me at, at chapter 6 and verse 5. This righteousness that comes through Christ gives us a new freedom. For if we have been united with him in his death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, you see that? Paul's just preaching the gospel over and over. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing. So that we, now listen, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. This growth comes through a new freedom. And yet, at the same time, we have another type of slavery. We're enslaved to obedience to our God. Uh, look down at verse 15, chapter 6. It says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching with which you have committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. 
So this growing produces both freedom, but it also produces a mind, a will, and emotions that, that are driven and locked on to the will of God. He's dealing, by the way, with these libertines, these the liberty people in this passage. Uh, and then Paul gets really personal in chapter 7. He first says that we experience belonging, growth through belonging, a belonging first that he, that he begins to describe for us as being in the Spirit, being in the Spirit. In, in chapter 7 and verse 6, it says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So there is a new desire that comes because there is a new Spirit. And yet, in the same section, Paul goes from just being a teacher to being very personal. But he says, don't misunderstand me. That though we have this new growth and we have a new belonging, it is an imperfect belonging. Why? Because we are still in the flesh. And so Paul gets really personal. And he says, you know, a lot of the times I, what I want to do, I'm not doing. And what I try to do, I, I don't do. You know, he said, this is, some days I'm just a mess. Listen to what he said. Verse 21 of chapter 7. So I find it, it is a law. That when I want to do right, evil is close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, whom will deliver me from the body of death. Verse 25, thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Do you see it? So as we, as we ascend this mountain, we have to understand that the Christian life is not to ascending out of trials and out of suffering. We enter into, as we ascend, into a spiritual warfare that did not exist before we were a child of God. And so we come to what I believe, and I'm not going to make an argument for it one way or the other, but I think most people who study Romans believe chapter 8 is the summit. Now, we're not done yet, but when you get to chapter 8, oh, and he's counting on this. There's, there's not any chapter breaks in the, in, the, in, the, in the Bible. We put that here so we could find our places. So he's, he's going on and on about how he's, he's still stuck in this body that does things that he doesn't want to do. And so he says, thanks be to God in verse 25. In chapter 8, verse 1, he said, that There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. None. For the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ and the law of sin and death. We may be struggle with it, but we are no longer enslaved to it. And we say, praise the Lord. I wish I had time today 
tell you everything that just slow down here in Romans, but we're going to get to it. I don't have time for you to look at verse 9 to talk about the Spirit indwelling, or verse 15, spiritual adoption, or our inheritance is in verse 17, or oh my goodness, in verse 18, the future glory that awaits for us. Nor can I, we can roll around in verse 39 that says, cause of all these things, that nothing, nothing ever can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the pinnacle. That's the climax. That's, that's up on top of the mountain, and we're looking around and saying, look what Christ has done. Look at who he is. Look what he has given us. Romans 8 leaves us with no doubt that our, abs- our salvation is absolutely secure. Absolutely secure. But have you ever watched, I've, I've not, I'm not a mountain climber, obviously, uh, but have you ever watched any of it? I don't know why I like to watch those things, I guess, you know. What do they say when you get to the climax of the mountain, the, the pinnacle? What do they say about the, uh, about the rest of the journey? <laughs> you, you die on the way down. What they say, more, we lose more people. Now, now, this is important illustration. And you're going to feel it here in a minute. We lose more people going down the mountain because they get up to the top and they say, Woo! The journey's over. We've arrived. And, and he says, No, no. No, no. There's more to the journey. Uh, There's more to the journey. And so when we get to chapter 8, we realize there's more to the journey. And we have to realize this truth. Not everybody embraces the gospel. Not everybody embraces the gospel. He he gets to this. That's from chapters 9 to chapters 11. But even so, even so, we must understand that God's justice is a righteous justice. You see, in chapters 9, we're going to see that God is faithful, Israel wasn't. God is faithful, Israel was not. They thought they could obtain righteousness by their own works, and by the way, they still do. In chapters 10, we see that God's nature is unchanging, He's mighty to save. Listen to what he says in chapters 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart, desire, and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them a witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. If you don't come through Jesus Christ, you are not part of the family of God. You don't get in anymore after the cross and the resurrection through anything other than faith in Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter where you were born, doesn't matter whether you were a Jew or a Gentile. And here's what he gets into in chapters 11, that God is just choosing his own. The remnant then are redeemed, or as Paul is going to say in chapters 11 and verse 5, they are chosen by grace. And no, we're not going to run from a word that is a biblical word. They are chosen by grace. 
The rest were hardened in his justice, verse 7 and 8, so that the Gentiles might be grafted in, verses 19 to 22. And here's what I want you to see in the text. So look with me in chapters 11, because many people that have studied the Bible longer than us have get stuck in the theological mud between these two. That's what I said. The climax is wonderful, well, but, but you could really get stuck on the way down. Here's what I want to challenge you with. What we oftentimes struggle with at this point in Romans, Paul worships. And so notice, God is glorious and he will be glorified through all of this. Chapter is 11, verses 32. So once he gets into all of this, this justice, this righteous justice of God, working itself out in both Jews and Gentiles, like everybody, he's, this is where he gets to. It is as if we get to the top of Mount Everest and we look over and see another mountain that is so tall that we can't, we're just at the base of it. That it ascends into the heavens and then we know there's no way I'm ever going to get there. Paul says, that's good. That's God. That's God. Listen to what he says. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor or who has been a has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory amen if you are saved today you have no reason to boast in it because it is all by grace and so we have came to base camp where righteousness has been revealed. We have got to base camp two, where righteousness is embraced. And now we're descending as it, as it is down a different trail, but a very important trail, righteousness lived. Righteousness lived. And so we see then, this is the turning point in the book of Romans in chapter 12 in verse 1, that we find out that a righteousness that is embraced is a righteousness that will be lived. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and is perfect. He is going to teach us that our lives are to be worshipped. Our lives Merely what we're doing this morning. He's, he's going to show us, beginning at chapter 12 in verses 3 to 8, that our lives are a life that serves. Verse 9, we have a life that loves as it is loved. A worship that, it, that submits to God-ordained authority in chapter 13. A worship that is selfless and gracious to each other, chapter 14. And a worship that looks a lot like our Jesus in the beginning of chapter 15. And so, 
When we get to chapter 15, about verse 14, we see this other aspect of living this righteousness out. We see a going righteousness. And Paul's using himself and he's beckoning the church to be part. But I want you to see what we, because we've just got through doing this. And so I don't want you to miss it. it that a going righteousness is first visional. Paul, now think of this. Paul, this was about 57. Paul would be dead, martyred somewhere between 62 and 67 A.D. He didn't know that. We talked about that last week, right? We don't know when it's time to go home. But here's what he was doing. He was casting a vision. Okay, was cast in the vision. Look at verse 22, chapter 15, verse 22. This is the reason why I've often, so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for the work in these reasons, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. He's casting a vision. Paul is making plans. He's at the end of his third missionary journey, and he's ready for the fourth. He's, he's not going to go to Florida and collect seashells. He's getting ready to go again. We see his vision, and we also see the church in him working together in benevolence. Verses 26 and 27 he said, for Macedonia and Achaia, I have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and have indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to be able to service to them in material blessings. And so the Jewish, the predominantly Jewish church in Jerusalem was going through a, a, a physical famine and the other churches were giving to help. And Paul is part of that. And he's encouraging other churches to be part of that. He is visional. He is benevolent. He is missional. Verse 28. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave from Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. This is a living righteousness. A living righteousness is a going righteousness. Now, let me pause for a second. Do you remember the funnel? By the way, we put it, we put it onto a graphic. It's on our little mobile wall out there. I want you to look at it on your way out today. But I want you to see it in the text today. That a living righteousness is a growing righteousness. It is a going righteousness, and it is also a partnering righteousness. So now, just look with me at the text. Look at chapter 16. And just let your mind, just let your eyes look at all of these people. Question. Are they all just one gender? Do we all just see... Paul partnering with men to reach the gospel. No. It's men and women here on this list. 
We all have a part to play. There were, there were, there were so many partners. Look at all of those. These are, this is not the whole list. These are just people that he wanted to know. Listen to what he said in chapter 16 and verse 3. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow servants in Christ. Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. They risked their necks for my life. These were partners that Paul would say, I would not be able to do what I have done without these that were everybody gives. Everybody's a part of it. Nobody's sitting on the bench here. And none of us have our church and their church. There is the church. And we are partnering together with people that believe the gospel to reach the nations for the gospel. There's no room for this self-centered mess in the kingdom of God. We work together. It is relational. It is humble. It is interdependent. It is united in truth. And having got to this point. We have arrived safely back at the base of the mountain, hopefully for a celebration. Uh, that's, that's where he leads us to. This is the doxology that is in verses 25 to 27. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel... And, and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith and to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. And so... That's the mountain we're going to climb. <laughs> that's just the intro. That's a summary. So let's ask a couple of questions before we're done today. And let's look back at a couple of passages first and foremost. And I think if we go back to the first of Romans, we're going to see that Paul would say this is the first and most important question. Have you embraced the gospel? Have you embraced the gospel? I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It might be up on the screen. Just grabs this in a real simple way. Romans chapter 3, verse 22 again says this. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life shedding His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and included them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight. 
when they believe in Jesus. Have you believed? Have you embraced the gospel? And even more importantly and essentially, has the gospel embraced you? Because this isn't simply I understand the answer to the questions or I signed the card or I prayed a prayer. What we are going to see in Romans is that the gospel grabs a hold of you. The Spirit indwells you. The Spirit changes your desires and your motivations. It's not that we don't struggle, but it is that we grow. That we begin to be transformed Chapter 12, verses 1 again in the New Living Translation says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship God. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, what is good and pleasing and purpose. And so, brothers and sisters, as we close today, let me remind you what the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews 13, 11. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So, let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. But this world is not our permanent home, and we are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And so, what we're about to do through word and deed is to proclaim our allegiance to his name. To proclaim our allegiance not only to his name, but to claim our allegiance to his church. And we're going to do this when we stand to worship. We're going to do this when we give. We're going to do it when we come to the table to take of the body and the blood of Christ and to remember it is his work. And it is a finished work. And we have entered into that work so that we may go out and do the work that he's called us all to do. Let's pray. So, Lord, what a book. We just can't wait to dive into those first few verses. And yet, Lord, we are trusting you now to, even as we have looked at the overview that you bring souls into your kingdom today, Call those to yourself. Lord, we thank you for just a simple gospel of what your son came and, and did and proved to us through the cross and the resurrection, through his perfect life to be received by faith. We pray for that today. If that's not true, that, that life would come today. Life would come through the power of the Holy Spirit to those who believe. And so, Lord, for us who believe, we, we thank you. It is quite a privilege and, and a joy, not begrudgingly to embrace repentance, but as, as a person whose daddy who loves them. I want to say, God, we're, we're sorry for our sin that we committed even 
this week, even last night, worrying about things that you've got under complete control. Thank you that we can come to you and receive our forgiveness. You set us on your lap and kiss us on the cheek and remind us who we are. So, God, you are holy and our Father at the same time. And that is a mystery that is too great for us to understand. But thank you that you have given it to us in our word and we embrace it by faith. And so, Lord, as we stand to worship you, be worshiped. As we give out of the goodness that you have given to us, Lord, would you use it? Lord, as we come to the tables, Lord, would you, would you draw us close to your Son in this time of intimacy between the church and Christ? We do it, Lord. We do it every week until you come and bring us home. And so, Lord, allow us to enjoy you and your Son and the Spirit now as we sing and as we worship and then as we go in Jesus name. Amen.